we well, we know less about women's bodies than we do about men's. Women's diseases get a lot less research money than men's. And for example, prostate cancer gets more research funds than ovarian cancer, than uterine cancer, than cervical cancer. And those cancers are more fatal. But the guys get the money. I mean, that's just how it goes. And women researchers are published less often. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimetopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey there, sisters. Welcome to a very exciting episode of the Period Whisperer podcast. Now, if you have been tuning in for a while, you know that this podcast is about two main things. First, understanding our female body, the whispers and messages she communicates to us, which we often ignore until they turn into major calls for help. And secondly, how to heal and work with our bodies so that we can thrive in perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. And before I introduce our guest today, I have a a very important question for you. If you could rank how you prioritize your health amidst your children, your pets, your partner, your career, and all of your other things you have going on in life, where would you rank? Would you be in the top three, the top five? Think about this number because it matters to your health and very much to how you feel in your body right now and your future. When I learned about our guest today and the book that she wrote, I was completely captured by her research and her message, and I think you will be too. So let me introduce you to the amazing Susan Salinger, who is the author and researcher behind the brilliant book, Sidelined, How Women Can Navigate a Broken Healthcare System. Sideline examines the many ways in which some women manage and sometimes even mismanage their health and health care. Her research explores how women who are typically these medical gatekeepers for their families tend to be extremely conscientious about taking care of ourselves, yet at the same time inadvertently undermine our own care. Susan's research reveals how conflicted many women are about getting help for our health and the medical decisions we ultimately make. I'm really excited to have her here to talk with us and share this message. So welcome, Susan. Thank you for being here. Okay, I am interrupting this episode super quick for you, sister, to remind you of perimenopause weight weight loss myth number one through six. You are just getting older. You think you need to accept it. 
You'd have to work out every day and cut your calories way back and be miserable. And if you really want to release weight, it's going to be harder than it was in your 20s. That is not the truth, but here is the truth. All you need to be successful in weight release during perimenopause and menopause is to understand how this major hormonal shift impacts your metabolism, how to eliminate the inflammation that is causing most of your symptoms, optimize your hormones, and commit to habits that work with your hormones. And don't worry, it's easier than you think. I can promise you that. So I created a brand new signature course called Midlife Mojo to guide you through each of these four simple steps and get you releasing the weight so you can get back in control of your body and thrive in perimenopause and beyond. You can go on vacations, you can enjoy the holidays, you can tackle your big dreams and even bigger to-do lists, no matter what number you're turning this birthday, and have the confidence that the scale will only be moving in the direction that you want. It's a 12-week course that we will commit to together and is designed to get you out of hormonal chaos that includes mood swings, night sweats, lack of patience, and heavy periods. Eliminate and heal the inflammation in your body. No more bloating, brain fog, exhaustion, and cravings. Optimize your metabolism, which is where we get to bring on the energy, and shift into fat burning mode. Hello results so that you will release the weight. And guess what? I am guaranteeing it. I have worked with enough women in perimenopause struggling to release weight and feel better, as well as my own 15-pound weight gain and loss, that I know this is a proven system. When you show up and follow through, you will get results. I promise or I'll give you your money back. Now, space is limited because your results are critical and doors open now until September 10th. When we begin, which is coming fast, all you need to do is sign up right now at www.briatheperiodwhisperer.com forward slash midlife dash mojo. That's briatheperiodwhisperer.com forward slash midlife dash mojo. And it is the show notes in the show notes below. So pause this episode. I won't mind. Pause it right now and sign up so you can secure your spot this fall in a program strategically designed for women where I am guaranteeing results. Am I crazy? No, I'm not. Because here's what I know about women like us. When we invest in ourselves, like paying for this course, and when we have skin in the game, like knowing that our results are guaranteed if we follow the process step by step, then we show up. We go all in. And I have a 100% success ratio on my clients who go all in. If I know anything about the lives of women in midlife, it's that September and January are like our Super Bowl times for progress, commitment, and change. So go right now. Sign yourself up so you do not miss this opportunity. Share it with your girlfriends, sisters, and anyone who is struggling to feel good in perimenopause. Perimenopause will transform you if you let it, or it will lock your feet in concrete. Let's transform, sister. Commit to yourself now. Heal your hormones and release the weight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, and I loved you. your question. Just okay. Like well, later on, loved it. It's relevant. <laughs> we will talk about it because yes, of we you. will. <laughs> so I I loved the book. I read the book. It really touched me, as I said, and the, and I think it's a, such an important message. But tell us about you, about your story, and and really, you know, what prompted you to write this book specifically. Well, 
you know, I, I had retired, which, you know, from, from business, I was in business with my husband and I finally retired, which lasted about 12 seconds. That was not, <laughs> you know, and I went back to school and took a bunch of classes and I medical anthropology classes actually. And I learned a lot of information that I thought women really needed to know. And many, many years ago, I had had some agreed to have some surgery that I absolutely knew I didn't need. I got frightened. I agreed to it. I was right. I didn't need it. You know, everything was fine. And then when I took these classes, I did a project on women who had had hysterectomies for one of my classes. And many of the women I interviewed also had felt they didn't need the hysterectomy, but agreed to it anyway. Mm -hmm. So their their stories combined with the information I learned really made me make medical decisions. How do we take care of ourselves? What's going on? And I interviewed maybe 50, 60 women and just, you know, extrapolated what they had in common. They all had different diseases. And one of the things they had in common, I'm going to leap right in. Yeah, let's do it. It was kind of my question. I, I, lo- I loved your question. They don't take, they put themselves last. Mm-hmm. There was a big study done and women were asked to prioritize five things. You know, what would they put first, second, third, et cetera. And the first thing they put, of course, was they take care of their children. The second thing, and I loved this, they would take care of their pets the third thing, they would take care of their elderly parents. And when I was reading this, all I could think of was, gee, mom, I know you need help going to the doctor, but you know, Fluffy threw up this morning. (laughs) Anyway, so the third thing is their elderly parents. The fourth thing is their significant others. And last, of course, is themselves. And I think that is so typical. And I'd be so interested to know how many of your listeners put themselves last, because I'll bet a lot of them did. Yeah, ultimately, I think, you know, obviously, it plays a huge role in in women going through, you know, probably the women that you've interviewed. So I'll be excited to hear about that. But I certainly know even just in how women navigate perimenopause and menopause, which is a significant shift, it plays a huge role there, just whether our understanding of our wants versus our needs and how to prioritize those. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really, really, so, you know, when you, so with the women that you interviewed, you interviewed 50 or 60 women, you know, what, what were their commonalities? So obviously that they put themselves last, what else did you hear from them or learn from them? We're such nice people, us women, you know, yeah. and I'm saying that as a group, we yeah. were the medical gatekeepers, our family, we're caretakers, which is what the first, you know, question uh, showed. But yeah. secondly, for example, we hesitate to get second opinions. We're so nice. We don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. We don't want to be rude. We, I mean, the doctor's the professional. What, what do I know? you know, that kind of thing. So it's just another way that we do ourselves a disservice in because we're so nice. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we are worried about ruffling feathers or worried about, you know, even I think one thing you even talk about is just how we even speak to doctors. Why are we worried about not just I'm just saying, oh, no, actually, I'm fine. It's okay. 
So many women do that. So many of us, and I, I'll get to the what I think is the why, but so many of us minimize our symptoms. And the, we do, really do ourselves a disservice when we do that. I cannot tell you how many of the women that I interviewed when the doctor said, well, hi, how are you doing? And they said, oh, fine, just fine. Well, I mean, they weren't fine or they wouldn't have gone to the doctor. They'd be out having lunch. I mean, it makes no sense, you know, but we all do that. And I, I think we've really just been culturally and you know, I guess socialized is the word I want to take care of others, to put ourselves last. A woman's job is to take care of the family. That's been traditional. I'm, I don't mean that I support it, but I certainly think it's traditional. Yeah. Um, and with what's going on now, women's health is certainly coming last in, in our culture at the moment. Um, and I think that the socialization is continuing. And I think, too, that the wellness industry, although it's done such good work and and, and really helped women, people, you know, take better care of themselves. But I think it, it suggests that that it's our fault. If you just take good self-care, you will live healthily ever after. And I don't think that's true. So I think that we get guilty when we get sick. We, we can't do our duties. It's obviously our fault, et cetera. Yes, you talk about that. And it really, you know, for me, it just kind of smacked me in the face, this idea of shame that we hold around when we get sick or even admitting that we're sick. Yeah, I think that the shame is actually the thing that struck me the most. It's so interesting to me because when I when I get sick, which I must thank gosh is, is very rare, but I get I get so I get pissed off. I get angry that I'm ill. I mean, how dare the world do this to me? <laughs> to me that it's my fault. And so here I am. I'm sitting here interviewing all these women, and I'm tell and they're telling me that they they feel guilty. It was their fault. They they were overstressed, or they they didn't exercise enough, or they exercised too little. I mean, whatever it was, mm-hmm. there there were always reasons that they were responsible for their illness, and it blew me away. And I think. It's that's that's very serious what I'm saying. I'm I'm making light of it, but it actually isn't light at all because I think that the shame really does us a disservice. This was so interesting to me. As I know you wanted to know about the focus groups and, and we can get to that. Oh, but this is yeah, let's do it. I discovered much to my amazement that the women in the focus groups had never talked about their illness with anyone else other than their doctor. And they were because they were so ashamed of being ill. And I think that that does is we need each other when we're sick. And if you keep your illness to yourself, it's a it's a double burden. Yeah. So we not only don't even, I think we don't even recognize we're not feeling well because we're putting all these other people ahead, but then we don't even sort of validate it or give ourselves permission to really look at it because we're not sharing it with anyone. Correct. And then we go to the doctor and we say, well, I'm fine. (laughs) Exactly. 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 You know, there was a study done in Canada um, with women that had thought they were having a heart attack. They weren't sure. And so many of them just, well, one of them, one of them which blew me away, one of them went to bed and, and laid awake all night because she didn't want to tell her husband or wake him up because she knew he needed his sleep. And so she, and she was having a heart attack as it turned out. And I mean, I presume she was fine. The study didn't say that, but I mean, that's, that's taking, putting others first to a ridiculous degree, but nevertheless, it's not uncommon. Yeah, that's so, it'd be so interesting to even further understand, I guess, that piece that, you know, the depths of, and how we start to unwind that in ourselves. Do you 
find like so the were were these things very true for you as well when with through your experience of why you chose to you know why you ended up having a surgery that you later felt you didn't need you know obviously it's all speculation I, I think so I uh, did I did push I I was on some hormones for osteoporosis um this was years ago and he the doctor had said listen there's some new hormones on the market they'll be better for your bones so I thought you know I was young at the time and you know I wasn't well young you're I'm older now, but I'm in my forties, you know, which to me at this point is young. Yeah. And I said, great. I mean, of course I'll try it. And then I just sort of started some vaginal bleeding and had symptoms. So I said, Hey, I better go back on those old hormones. Uh, these aren't working. And he said, no, 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 no. I've never had anybody have this symptom before, et cetera. And I, I did what I write about. I thought, well, he knows best. But and when I look back, I I was I was so unempowered. I w- I was still young. I wouldn't do that today. But I mean, I could have gone for a second opinion. I could have gone off the old, off the new hormones, gone back to the old for a couple of weeks. I mean, I wasn't going to die in an hour. You know, I could have given it a chance. I did none of that. Mm-hmm. I just said, "Oh well, you know best." Yeah, um, not a good idea. And this is the trust we put in, I guess, into the into the healthcare system. And so many times it's warranted, but other times it's not. I I'm a firm believer in listening to your gut, backed up by research. Yeah, oh, I love that. Listen to your gut, backed up by research. Yeah, that's incredible. Yes, incredible. Thank um, you. Oh, that's really. And so, I mean, I, I I just want to point out, you know, I I you know, I'm looking forward to the listeners going out and getting your book, of course, and reading this because I think it's it'll really strike a chord and also help. I, one thing you do so well is really empower women and give them permission to pay attention to yes. what that gut is. And then you yes. back it up with the research, right? Right, in, exactly. Which is so wonderful. But I feel like I have to point out, you know, so you're, you went through all of this in your right. 40s, which is really right. where a lot of women are who are listening to this show. And now yes. you are 80. Yes, eight. I'm going to be 81 next month, which oh. I cannot believe. <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. So I love that you're sharing this wisdom so passionately and so, you know, with so much wisdom, like right now, you know, even though it was so long ago, I think it's, you know, yeah. we're grateful for it. So thank you. Well, it stuck with me because I'm not usually that, you know, I usually take better care of myself than that. Yeah. How old, when you were at that age, how old were your children? Oh, gee. I can't do the math. I think they must have been in their 20s because let's say I'm 80 now and they're in their 50s. So that's, well, maybe, I don't know, it's rough. It's a rough guess, but. Yeah, teens and 20s. Yeah. That, so you definitely had a lot going on. It's sort of a really similar story for women, I think. Yes. Reaching this. this. You, you know what? I'm sorry. I think they were younger because yes. I remember saying to myself, you know, I've got young children, so I better do this. I can't die on them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so they were younger. Yeah, that's amazing. But maybe I was in my 30s. See, I, I can't remember anymore. No. <laughs> it's one of those things I don't want to focus on. because No, was so no. I just like to, I like the relevance of how it plays. You know, this is where yeah. we are in this age, you know, at this, yeah. this exactly. stage in life. So, okay. You know, I, I got us off track. So I'm so interested. In <laughs> that's okay. Story, anyway. story. But let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the woman, the women you interviewed, how you chose them, what you had in common with them. I actually chose them. It was it was a different time. So I went on the Internet mm-hmm. and I, I put a notice out to various support groups. Lupus. I think I did a lupus group, an endometriosis group. I doesn't matter. Just various support groups with with, with women based diseases. Right. So I, I did like breast cancer, that kind of thing. 
And I had so many women who were willing to be interviewed. And just for the sake of economics and and convenience, I I was in, I'm in California. So I did choose that. I I chose women that I could visit their homes, which I I wouldn't do that today, probably. But that's why I did the focus groups for geographical diversity. But so I went to their homes and everybody was so willing and just loved talking about it because they want every single one of them wanted to help other women. They were so gracious. And, you know, the beauty about interviewing, which I didn't really realize, is when you interview people you don't know versus people you do know, people you don't know, you get so much more information. So many women said to me, well, I'll tell you this, because, I mean, I know I'll never see you again, but I really (laughs) want it out there. And they were right. You know, I mean, it was wonderful. They could not have been more generous, gracious, whatever all those words are, you know. Uh, that's incredible. You know, it was one of the things you talked about in there that I was that that was really, I think, important to me anyway, was understanding the amount of research and funds that go towards um, researching female based diseases versus male based diseases. Yes. Can we yes. Talk about that? Oh, yes. In fact, that's partly the basis. I'm doing a new book on shame and do- how, why and how doctors say, you know, it's it's all in your head. And I, I need to defend doctors for a minute because women do get that diagnosis so frequently. And I think one of the reasons, well, there's several reasons, as you just said, we well, we know less about women's bodies than we do about men's. Women's diseases get a lot less research money than men's. And for example, Prostate cancer gets more research funds than ovarian cancer, than uterine cancer, than cervical cancer. And those cancers are more fatal, but the guys get the money. I mean, that's just how it goes. And women researchers are published less often. One of the journals recently just did a whole thing on how women women researchers really have trouble getting publication, public, I guess, publication of, the, of their research. Mm-hmm. So that's a so even if there is good early reach, either the public or the doctors that need to read this stuff. And I think another reason is we get diseases that are very difficult to diagnose. A lot of women get autoimmune diseases, and it can take five years, six years for those diseases to be diagnosed. There's no lab test. So that's for some of them. And their symptoms mimic not only each other, but all of the diseases that there are in the world. So I think that it's very difficult for a doctor to zero in on what exactly you have. And so that's when they frequently say, well, none of the tests will show up anything. So the doctor will say, well, listen, it's stress. It's all in your head. And, you know, Part of the time they're right, because we do suffer from stress and anxiety more than men do, but they're not necessarily blowing you off. Um, and I think that that's, that's important for women to know. Yes, I love that. And and I think this is sort of where the, some of the empowerment steps in. If we understand that stress can irritate things and or maybe cloud things a little right. bit. Right, right. You know, we can be empowered to, you know, focus on the reduction of that stress, asking for help, prioritizing us up a little bit. Yeah. We can get to that part of our gut that tells us, hmm, no, something's still here. Well, and I think that, that it, what's the, the part of your gut you want to listen to is the part that says, well, no, I wasn't stressed before that. Of course, I'm stressed now. I feel like crap. I mean, yeah. who wouldn't be stressed? I mean, makes, you know, makes no sense. Harder to do everything when you feel that way. So, well, like, yeah, no, I mean, you're irritable, you're depressed. I mean, I cry, you know, when I don't feel good. Uh, so, let, actually, that's a it's a great. I talk a lot about stress here, how the impact of it on the hormones, but 
you know, how much of a role would you say stress does play in our health specifically? Oh, that's my favorite question. And I will tell you, I'm going to tell you two very brief stories that you uh-huh. will love and will illustrate my point far better than I could do. Uh-huh. But we we really forget how in, how connected our minds and our bodies are. And my answer to your question is stress plays a major role. But just to prove the connection, research, this is about how your body influences your mind. Mm-hmm of students and and put them in two different rooms and one group of students they gave hot coffee the second group of students they gave iced coffee and then they gave each group the same resume of a person it doesn't matter who and they asked each group what they thought of the person well the person the, the people with the iced coffee found the person much colder much more remote than the people with the hot coffee who thought the thought the person was warm and fuzzy etc and isn't that wonderful that's unbelievable. And then now let's reverse it and talk about how the body, how the mind can influence the body. Yeah. Different, different study, different researchers, but same premise. They took two groups of students, put one in one room, one in another room. They asked the first group to really think about or write down whichever a situation in which they felt socially rejected that was really hurtful to them. And then the second group, they said, think about a, a situation which you loved which was socially acceptable to you and you felt really good about it. Yeah. So the people with the, who had felt socially rejected judged the temperature of the room to be five degrees colder than the people who felt socially accepted. I mean, don't you love it? That's amazing. That's so awesome. in answer to your question, stress is very important. Our minds and bodies are so connected. Yes. And we can't overlook that. That's Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I loved those. I love stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wonder, so was there an, an average age of the women that you um that you interviewed for for the focus? I would say between most of them were in menopause, probably 45 to about 65, mm-hmm. roughly. Which um, we know is a more overwhelming time, I think, when you I, have yeah. yeah, so much going on physically, yeah. mentally, and in life, peaking careers and right. Like, aging parents and raising kids. Yes. Yes. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to consider the impact that mind body connection around stress and how that, you know, maybe even leans into how we struggle to manage our health properly. I think it does. I think it does. That's incredible. Okay. So let's get into some, maybe actually I have one more question around this as you've, as you've now, you know, had years of research and you've gone through this, have you noticed a change, a gen, like throughout the generations, like, is there generational change happening positively? You know, are women becoming better at this? Are doctors becoming better at this? I I think so. I've done no research on that. So this is truly just an educated guess. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yes, I really think so. I think more women are speaking up. I think more women feel empowered. I think there's more research tools available so that we have more information at our fingertips. Um, I think there has been a generation and a cultural change. I really do. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful to hear. I think that's always my feeling too. We'll need to do some research, I guess, on it to put yeah. some- <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, that's the gut, right? So now we got to find. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I, when I lost my train of thought, I was laughing at what you said. But yes, I think there have been some changes. Yeah. 
That's Thank really good. Oh, I know what I was going to say. And I think there have been some structural changes as well, because, for example, women are now included in clinical trials, whereas we weren't before. Most of the studies were done on men only. But I just read, which I had no idea, you know, the old adage, you know, take an aspirin a day, keeps the doctor away. Uh-huh. That was done on 10,000, I think, male medical students. And it turned out that aspirin isn't so good for women. This was in a, in a cardiac situation. But never Nevertheless, um, so that is that's much less of a problem today. Although we're still living with that unfortunate history. Uh, yeah, that is incredible, isn't it? To know that there was a time when women really weren't even included in these research, right. and yet right. our bodies function so differently than men's with different right. right. Metabolisms, and, and that hormones. was part of it. I mean, the researchers honestly felt that all of those pesky hormones we have that flow they were inconvenient. Us. Right. We're so unreliable, these these women, you know, their bodies, etc. That was the that was the the belief. So thank goodness it's changed. Yeah, thank goodness it's changing. So we know that women are, you know, we know that they need to pay more attention to themselves. We know that they need to share more with other people. We know that they need to get second opinions with their doctors. Yes. Um, one thing you spoke about that I, I'd love to also bring up, because I think it's an important thing, is how we speak to our doctors about we talk yeah. about them. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. Men and women speak very differently to doctors, which I did not know until I began the research. In fact, there was an interesting study done where men and women wrote letters about, <coughs> excuse me, about the experience of having cancer. And the researchers were able to tell in well over half which were written by women and which were men, written by men. And that's because the women's were much more emotional, much more inclusive, much more flowery, I guess is the word I want. The men's was the men's letters were more tight and more succinct. Mm-hmm. And that's really the difference when as patients we present our symptoms to the doctor. Women talk about how being sick makes us feel and I'm depressed and, you know, I just, I'm irritable. And we, the physical symptoms can almost get lost in the, what I guess in the shuffle of the emotional ones. Men are much more objective. They go in and they say, I have a sore throat. Stop. (laughs) So one of the things where we do do ourselves a disservice is at the same time, I think it's really important to tell the doctor what you're feeling. You need to be careful. We need to be careful because the doctor then will get off on the psychological diagnosis because we're talking about our depression. We're talking about our irritability. So in a, we have to be careful that we don't skew the visit in a way we don't want it to go. That's Well, if you follow that bouncing ball, when you talked about part of the reason we don't want to even admit or recognize that we're not feeling well is the shame piece. The shame has got to be that emotional piece that then makes us feel depressed. So that's really what ends up driving us there because we cannot function anymore because we're so... Yes. It's not even the original... If we could just recognize, okay, this isn't right. I'm going to go in and just say this isn't right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's so true. The shame is, is it's actually prevented some of the women I did interview, and I'm, I'm going to be interviewing some more, but it, it prevented them from going, from visiting the doctor. They were so ashamed because they hadn't done this or had done that, that they didn't go. So now a minor problem becomes a major one. Um, talk about a disservice. I will very much look forward to reading your next book around the shame. Thank you. 
That's so powerful. So what are your top three tips for women who want to start to make, you know, and manage their health and decision-making capabilities? What are the, can we make this succinct for them? Yes. And I, I hope I might cheat and give you four. How's that? I'll take, I'll take five <laughs> if you want. <laughs> it's so easy. Now, the first thing I think what's really important to do is to focus the doctor visit. You really want to, first of all, go to the doctor. I mean, don't uh-huh. mess around with it, but you really want to focus the visit so that it goes in the direction you want it to go and that all of your questions are answered. And I think the very first thing to do, and maybe the most important, is to write out a list of your symptoms. And notice I said write out. I mean, I don't care if you put them in your phone or with a pencil and paper, but don't go in with them just a list in your head. If you're like me, I get anxious. I forget what I was going to say. So it it's very important to have a list. And one of the shows I was on was with a doctor, and she said she prefers you to come as a patient to come in with a written list because that way she can review it too. And although patients need to prioritize their list, she sometimes reprioritize it because she'll, she, as the doctor, she can pick up what may be the most serious of the things you've listed. So it's very important for both the doctor and the patient to go in with the list. And second of all, I think it's very important to get the clinical name, if you can, of your diagnosis and have the doctor write it down for you. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that have access to a computer, go home, look it up, do your research, learn, see if you think the disease fits. Does this make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yes, I have those symptoms. Well, no, I don't have that one at all. You know, you really want to make sure and you want to see what what the prognosis is, what they what the research recommends. Um, and that leads me just as, as a sidebar. My book has a wonderful resource section. I've done the research for you. So all you have to do is go to the back of my book and it'll tell you where to look up your symptoms. Are you Have you gone to the right hospital? Some hospitals specialize in cardiology, some specialize in neurology. So make sure you're going to the right place. But the third thing that I think is very important is to, is if you can, Talk back, say back in your own words what you've heard the doctor say. That gives you a chance to make sure that you understood and heard correctly. It gives the doctor a chance to make sure that they said what they meant to say. I mean, we all misspeak. So I think that's very important. You don't want to go out, go out of the visit, not understanding what your doctor says. Yeah. As a sidebar to that, only about 15 or 20 percent of women will tell the doctor when they don't understand something. So that means that, let's say, 80 percent of us, 70 percent of us go out of that office and really don't know what we've heard. And this is our body. It's the only body you're going to have. You want to make real sure that you've understood what's going on. And last but not least, I guess it is five, isn't it? Yes. Last but not least, take somebody with you. It Four ears are so much better than two. Yeah, you're right. What and they, you know, it's, I'm sorry, go on. No, I was going to say what they hear and how they interpret. I mean, if we know women, you know, we are often pleasers, as we said, and we're often, so it can be very easy if we're having a better day because we booked this appointment three weeks ago, you know, we can feel very differently in that moment than, than what's really going on. So yeah, no, absolutely. And, and what I, and just a, a note on aging, and I've actually never said this before on a podcast, but I'm thinking about it now. And I, as I said, I'm going to be 81 in about three weeks. And, you know, when you get older, it's even more important to have somebody with you because 
I am anxious. I mean, it's one thing to be sick at, sick at 45. You'll assume you're going to get well. At 81, the assumption doesn't come quite so easily. So I, uh, now I do take my daughter. I'm, I'm literally one of those old women that go into the doctor's office with their daughter. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> but it works, you know. She hears yeah. better than I do. She really yeah. does. It retains things differently and feels differently about them. So that makes a lot And of- I don't even hear sometimes. I mean, here I am, the, the researcher. And I, I mean, I'm good if it's your problem. I'll be glad to go with you. I hear yeah. everything. But for my problem, you know, it's just different. The other day I went and the, apparently a doctor's trying to get me off my blood, blood pressure medication. He doesn't think I need it anymore. And she said, Mom, congratulations. He's trying to get you off your medication. I didn't hear that. You know? <laughs> Really? <laughs> so it's even the good stuff I don't hear. So, yeah, I mean, truly, it's important to take somebody with you. Absolutely. And that's a valid, I mean, geez, even women based on where we are in our cycle will determine how tired we are, how, you know, how focused right. we can be. So right. yeah, that's a really, that's an incredibly powerful tip. I really love that, Susan. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> um, I have one more question for you. I mean, this is, I could talk to you probably for 16 hours, but <laughs> And I'll get the book, everybody. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, we just you. will. But how did writing this book and really the story that you've experienced change how you listen to your body and what she says to you? You know, it gave me a lot more confidence to listen to my body. I didn't realize <laughs> how how intuitive we all are consciously or unconsciously. And I mean, seriously, today, if the doctor had said, well, you need to have exploratory surgery, I would say, let's wait. Okay, but let's hold back. I mean, I'd get, like I said earlier, I'd get a second opinion. I'd go back to the, I mean, I would try all of the other avenues before I just jumped in and said, oh, sure, let's do that, which is what I did. In fact, I said, I insisted it be done sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the empowerment I cannot 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 stress that enough empowerment intuition listening to your gut looking for the well, and you know what I didn't realize I'm going to just expand on that do we have time because yeah. I mean I, oh yeah no we have time I, I could talk for 16 hours <laughs> but there's so many diseases out there and I don't think I didn't realize that there's like over 40 or 50 thousand diseases out there those are just the ones we know about and so many of them have similar symptoms. So if you go into the doctor and you say, I, I'm tired, I'm irritable, I'm not eating, whatever, those symptoms will fit, you know, 90% of those diseases. So mm. for the doctor, a diagnosis is tricky. It's it's not cut and dried. It's like looking for a needle in the haystack. So you really do want to be empowered because, I mean, he can or she or they, whatever the pr- correct pronoun is, can make a mistake. It's easy to do. And mm. I'm defending doctors to the death on that. They have so many choices and to zero in on the right one can be much trickier than I, as a a patient, originally anticipated. So I I do think it's really important to listen to your body and say, you know, I'm not really sure that fits. What else in your experience could this possibly be? That's Um, great. And that's great language to even give to us. Like, I'm not sure if it fits. What else in your experience could this be? You know, and where should I start? That's uh that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Susan. This has been, you know, such a pleasure. I'm really honored. I cannot wait for your next book, but I want to tell everyone listening right now, go out, follow Susan on Instagram on, go check out her website. I'll put all the links in the podcast um, notes. So swipe up and go out and get the book sidelined by Susan Salinger. It is worth the read and will give you 
I think the message here, which is to empower you, to remind you to trust your gut, to share, and to really step into being responsible and doing your part, I guess, when it comes to your health. You're, you're cutting out. I lost you. Are you still there? Oh, I'm here. Oh, there you are. I had no sound. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Well, for any for anyone who maybe missed that, go out and get the book sidelined. It You will not regret it. It will give you the permission and the empowerment that you're looking for to take charge of your own health as, as a woman in today. So thank you so much, Susan. Oh, you're so welcome. You're yeah. so welcome. All right, sisters, we'll catch you on next episode. Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.